Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women podcast. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including kicker smart trainers, element bike computers, and ticker heart rate monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for. Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hey, Haley, how are you? Hey, Alyssa, I'm good, and I think it is race week for you. Is that right? It is, yeah. So I'm kicking off one of two upcoming ultra marathons I have and on, in a couple days here. So as this comes out, I will be in Spain, and I'm flying over to Bilbao, which is in the Basque region of Spain. It's on kind of that northern coast. The Bay of Biscay is right there. And I am super excited. It's, a, I think, exactly 108 kilometers, you know, give or take a, a meter or two. Um, and we raced from Bilbao to Gastiz in Spain. And everything, there's actually an Ironman in Gastiz in July. And so I'm hoping to kind of get some intel for, like, what kind of a town that is because – Maybe I'll love it and have to go back or something. I don't know. Wow. This is pretty cool. How did you decide to go run a point-to-point 108-kilometer race in Spain? Well, truth be told, so ultimately in the next few years, I would love to run the Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc, which is also UTMB, as it's called. And that's kind of like, you know, Western States is thought of in North America as like the Super Bowl of ultra running. UTMB is like the worldwide Super Bowl of ultra running. And to get in, I started to like look at what it takes to, to get in. And it's become a lot more competitive as the ultra running boom has happened. And so I realized I better get started. And you have to collect a variety of points. You have to get 15 points through three races. Just by finishing a race, you, you collect the points. And UTMB, they have like a panel, I'm guessing, that assigns different races point values based off of various characteristics. And you, 
not every race has UTMB points, so you have to search through their database to find. And quite honestly, this was like just the race that fit into the timeline of what I wanted to do because I do still want to have a regular tri season here. And so I needed to knock out a couple races in the winter-ish time. Um, so that's why I'm doing this. This will be five points. And then in a couple weeks, I'm going to head over to Marin in California and run a 50-miler for another four points. And then next winter, I'm going to have to do a six-pointer, which I haven't even really let myself think about because those are all basically 100-milers now. So that will be – we'll save that for, for next year. And then hopefully I can start – entering the lottery or if I run really really well I might get to circumvent the lottery so we'll see but literally one step at a time here (laughs) and I thought Kona point qualification will now deceased rest in peace Kona points (laughs) like we're difficult to to follow but um wow cool well good luck to you in your travels and Thanks. In the race and getting there's, those YouTube. There's actually points. some fun stuff too. I just realized, Haley. So I am reading all the rules for this race, and it seems like the Europeans are very into safety, but they're also very into like keeping races green, which I love. So you you have to carry a cup, which is kind of with a lot of trail races now, you have to carry your own disposable cup in addition to like a actual pack or something like that if you want to just have drinks at the aid stations. But then get this, Haley, I have to write my bib number on every single item that I'm carrying with me from point A to point B. And if they find a wrapper with my bib number on it, I get disqualified. Ooh. How crazy is that? And so they give you a bag, it says, like a trash bag that you have to carry with you to like keep your trash together. Cause I guess they realize like, you know, you can make a mistake. You stuff it in the thing and you, you know, falls out and you don't even realize it's not intentional. So I'm guessing that the trash bag makes it more intentional. Like I'm putting my trash into the bag and then I'm putting my bag into my sack, you know, or whatever. So hopefully, I don't know. It's a little bit stressful, but I'm minimizing the amount of wrappers I'm carrying for this reason, because Lord knows I don't want to run into this problem. Yeah. Is someone going to check and make sure you write your number on all the wrappers? Like what if you just wrote your competitors numbers on the wrappers and then you just like throw them all over the place? (laughs) That's true. Or like you rip it. And so like my number's 175 and it just becomes like 75 (laughs) is the part that they find, right? Like how they know, but I think, you know, it's probably a bit, I'm sure they have like the letter versus the spirit of the law kind of thing but they do they check at check-in you know they they mand they make it mandatory that you bring a certain amount of calories and so you have to show that many calories at least with your bib number on it so they're doing what they can to kind of enforce it but I mean there's certainly loopholes I guess <laughs> I'm just an auditor in me right I have to be thinking about what can go wrong here but I do like the spirit of it I like the you know less impact on the environment as we're doing the races and just making people conscious of, you know, of what they're doing out there, you know, picking up after yourself and making sure that trash makes it all the way back home. So cool. Well, you have to, I can't wait to hear how it goes. And so Haley, what have you been up to? What will you be doing while I'm running in Spain? I'll be training in Bozeman like I do every (laughs) weekend. Um, No, I actually have a race coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm going to head to Bariloche and do the Ironman 70.3 there when, um, yeah, we talked to Romy Palacios Belena last year. And after that race, um, Argentinian pro and kind of got the wheels turning. It sounds like it'd be a fun one to do. It's supposed to be a really hard course, but really beautiful. So I'm going to go check it out. So that's my, my adventure that I have coming up in a little bit of time, but I have a couple of weeks, so, um, not quite there yet. Still training. Well, hopefully you're drawing inspiration because it, it seems like the race season is starting to really get, you know, pick up more and more. We had a couple races this last weekend. Uh, we had challenge Wanaka, which is a half distance and then 
Geelong. Is that how we say it? 70.3? In Australia. So it's all Oceania this weekend, right? Did I say that right? Exactly. Yeah, I think... (laughs) I think so. But, you know, Wanaka does have a special place in my heart. I love it there. I've raced there when it was a full um, a couple times. And I just I love following that race. I think it's such a spectacular place to have a race. And it was pretty good field that they had this year. I think a lot of people are maybe doing that and then or Geelong and then heading over to Ironman New Zealand in a couple weeks. And Hannah Wells took the win in Wanaka. Meredith Kessler it was actually really exciting. They didn't have, I didn't find line live coverage if they had it, but they, I was like actually updating a tracker, which is pretty rare to get these updates because Hannah and Meredith and I want to say someone else that Sophia something that I'm forgetting. Sorry. I think three of them all came off the bike together and I know Hannah and Meredith, it seemed like we're running together through like 19 K almost of the run. And so Pretty exciting race there for early season racing. And then Laura Siddle was third to round out that podium. I know close race in Geelong as well. I believe, I think it looked like everyone came out of the water together and then it was like they, everyone came off the bike together and I think Ellie Selthouse was leading at one point on the run and then Radka or Radka was leading off the bike and then Ellie passed her and Radka passed her back. So ended up being Radka Caulfield taking that win and Ellie Salthouse in second Grace Tech, who we talked to after that race last year when she was, she collapsed right before the finish. And this year she had a really great finish for third and Caroline Stefan in fourth. So really close racing in uh, Australia and New Zealand this weekend. Okay, Haley, we have several mailbags to catch up on, which is very exciting. So just a reminder to our listeners, people can always reach out at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions or thoughts or concerns or anything about the podcast, but particularly questions that you might like Haley and I to take a stab at. And so we're going to kick this off. Haley, our first question comes in from Carmen, and it is a great question. So she is curious because she says it seems like many female long distance triathletes get into the sport later in life than a lot of other sports. So some are also able to keep racing pro into their forties, which is completely unheard of in most sports. So she's wondering what we think is the ideal age to go pro. And then how old is too old to race as a pro? I'll let you take the first stab at that Haley. So I don't, I can't say ideal age. I think I was I think I was 27. How old were you, Alyssa? Yeah, I was 28. 28. So, and that was mostly, I don't know if it was like, I don't think it was an ideal age. It was just when it worked for, for me in my progression in the sport, it was kind of, I'm going to do it now or never. And we've talked on this podcast to women like Dee Dee Griesbauer, who we interviewed last year, and she's racing as a pro still, and she's 48 now, I believe. So we saw Natasha Badman race Kona a couple of years ago at age 50. So I don't, I mean, I don't think there's an ideal time. I don't think you're ever too old as long as physically you're able to qualify for that pro card. Like, I don't think it's, you know, it's not up to someone to say, put an age on it. If you're able to go those times, you can do it. That being said, Typically, I think, you know, a lot of in women do really well in endurance sport in their late 20s and into their 30s and, you know, mid and late 30s because we have, you know, the physical base of years of 
of cycling, of running, of swimming behind us. And also just that, that mental part, the life experience that you can draw from that I think you do need in some of the longer events. I've definitely found, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm a little bit smarter about my training and that pays off as well. Yeah. I think the maturity factor for like, especially the Ironman distance is definitely, you know, it factors into it a little bit of maybe why you see just kind of older generations older athletes in general, but I also think looking at triathlon and from an outside lens, you know, it's a sport that requires a good bit of money, you know, a good bit of gear and all of that kind of thing to really pursue at, you know, at a a serious level, whether that's pro or not. And so I think that causes a lot of the athletes who do triathlon to be just a little bit older because you're, you tend to be a little bit more financially secure and you're getting gear that kind of gives you that advantage to do that. But You know, and I think maybe just because of that lag time, simply that could cause people to be turning pro. But there is there's no ideal age to go pro. If you can do it, if you can be competitive, if you want to give it a shot, you know, whether you're 22 or 42, I think, you know, Haley and I have always been advocates of working with a coach. And, you know, if that's someone who maybe raced pro themselves or has any experience with other athletes that have been in the pro fields, that can help a lot, too, because they'll have good insight into that for you. So definitely not like a one size fits all bucket for, for the age though. I think you can definitely be successful at a lot of different ages and we see it all the time. Haley, our next question comes from Alicia and Alicia is writing to us and she has been thinking about the decentives that discourage age group women from taking their elite license. One of these quote decentives is not being able to, or really having to just pay age group registration rates to race at events that don't have pro and elite fields. For example, it wouldn't make sense for an elite age grouper who just wants to race the same regional non-pro races each year to become a pro because the races that they enjoy, I guess, and are around them maybe in their region aren't having pro fields. So do we have thoughts on this? And are there triathlons that are out there without pro and elite fields that we are interested in? I think both of us would say there's definitely triathlons that we like that don't have specific pro fields, right? Right. Yes. I've raced in races that don't have a pro field or don't have prize money while I've been a professional, usually for specific reasons, maybe because it is local and I just want to use it as a hard training day. Um, maybe because I like the cause that that race is supporting. And so I, I want to contribute to that cause and maybe just to practice. I did a sprint try a couple of years ago, just to really practice on speed and to do, you know, practice my transition. So there are definitely reasons. And I think that if someone wanted to only do races that didn't have pro fields, I probably would say, no, you wouldn't want to get a pro license because you cost money to get a pro license. So why spend a thousand dollars if, uh, on your pro license, if you aren't going to use it. So that's definitely a decentive. If you're, if you're happy at those local tries, you know, race your local tries. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, I, there are definitely local events that I just enjoy because, you know, I think they're fun and they are grassroots and I want to support them. And again, they, if they fit in well to my season, I will absolutely just go show up there and get a good hard workout out of it. And you can always talk to the race director in advance too. And, you know, sometimes they'll add an open field or you can, you know, just kind of make sure that you are like not impeding anything, I guess, by being there. I can't even imagine how that would happen, but race directors are usually super psyched to have a pro there and to have you racing and the other people racing are really excited about it too. So that's kind of fun. And then I think just in terms of thinking 
as a pro, you know, if you do want to race, you know, especially in your first few years, I feel like there are, at least this wasn't what I, I definitely wasn't like, oh, I want to go race all the races that I want to race. You know, I was reaching, racing much more strategically, especially in those first few years where I had to be kind of cognizant of putting myself into fields where I wasn't going to get left behind right away because I wasn't yet ready for the tactics that I was going to experience. So for me, that meant, you know, going to Europe a lot and racing in some of the the bigger fields there and quite honestly, finding fields that weren't going to be stacked like Geelong with, you know, the Radkas, the Ellie Sawhouses, the Caroline Steffens, which I wouldn't have been ready for in my first couple years. And I wouldn't have like learned or gained anything from that experience. So I guess, you know, a lot of different things to kind of think about in that sense, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully that helps Alicia. I, I wanted to add because this was something that Lisa Bentley brought up a couple of weeks ago when we interviewed her, how she doesn't, you know, as a former pro, she does not race age group just because she feels like she is taking someone's spot. And I, that one kind of is, it kind of stuck with me. Cause honestly, I don't have any problem with former pros or pros racing in age group, you know, or local events. And this is something Alyssa and I actually talked about previously. Like if I was at a local 5k and Shalane Flanagan, you know, pulled up and we're in the same age group and presumably she beat me. (laughs) So I would be pretty stoked to be honest that Shalane Flanagan was at my, you know, local 5k, but maybe not everyone has that feeling. And so that, I guess that is where Alyssa's, you know, advice comes in to maybe talk to the local race director. And, but honestly, if I got to stand on a podium next to Shalane Flanagan, even cause I was getting second or third, I would think it was pretty cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, it just comes down to a lot of like our mentality, Haley, I think is to go and like race and we want to be racing the best that there is. Right. And so hopefully that kind of is what our listeners are thinking too. And they're realizing that like a race is just that it's a race and it's, the people that show up and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's always with the local events, you know, there's always, well, not always, but a lot of times there's some politics and things you want to just kind of be aware of and a little conversation with a race director and stuff can't hurt. Our last mailbag question, Haley is with Anna and Anna is writing to us from Arkansas, which I think this might be our first mailbag from Arkansas. So that's lovely. And she has a question about the winter training season. So it's her first winter training. So she's using her trainer, staying indoors, and she's an extremely cautious cyclist. And she's super nervous when, even when she's just on a trail system in town. So she's wondering our tips for transitioning from the trainer to the road before race day and how to build confidence with speed on the road. So that's part one. Um, And then remind me and we'll circle back to part two. Okay. So going from the trainer to the road, I mean, that's something I guess I do quite frequently. And to be honest, I don't think I really do anything that specific when I transition from the trainer to the road. I, I mean, if it's for a training ride, actually, I make sure like all my equipment's in really good shape and my tires are in good shape and my lights, I I ride with a ridiculous amount of bright, bright lights on my bike because I really like to be seen and make sure those are all charged and in good shape. Just because on the trainer, you can kind of get away with stuff like, you know, getting a flat or if you're on a Wahoo, you don't even need a rear tire. Or if, um, you know, you just, your equipment does, it still goes, gets some wear and tear when it's on the trainer. So maybe taking it to your bike shop and making sure everything's in good working order. Your brakes are in good working order. That kind of thing is a good idea. But 
I think, you know, they don't say it's just like riding a bike for nothing. <laughs> um, it will come back really quick. And just having that confidence that when you get out on the road, like you are going to know how to ride a bike, you aren't going to have forgotten, but sure. If you want to get out and practice, you know, clipping in and maybe, you know, mounting and dismounting your bike and just, you know, being on the road, do it just for a little bit of confidence. But I bet even like, you know, one ride, you are going to be feeling like just great. Cause you still were training on that bike while you were on the trainer. Yeah. I think the maintenance side of it and making sure everything is really good condition is, is like the number one point. And then just realizing that like time in the saddle is time in the saddle and that will help, but also time in the saddle outside just builds over time. And it's, it's a process. You just have to be patient and let yourself get more comfortable. Um, it's like learning to drive a car outside. I feel like, you know, um, when you were first doing it, it's like super nerve wracking. And then now like, you know, it's pretty comfortable, but there's still always new situations. You have to be around. Why are you laughing? Did, at you, I'm just, did you practice driving a car like on like a simulator or like go to like an arcade? Well, I mean, so we played like, like Mario Kart like and Swift. <laughs> you play video games and like your parents might let you like, you know, take like, I don't know. Or you go go-karting, right? Like, I don't know. And I always felt like that was practice, but not real. Pra- I don't know. So, but it, I, think I think it's similar. Like now riding a trainer to riding a bike outside is a little bit easier than like playing Mario Kart to driving a car. <laughs> but that's just my opinion. Well, anyway, and then with building speed outside again, just like, you know, I, I actually work with a lot of people on this because at camps that I do in Tucson, we have to descend Mount Lemon and you can descend Mount Lemon in 30 minutes or you can descend Mount Lemon in two hours. And it is so painful for everyone involved who has to, you know, who's taking two hours. And, but I've seen some people do it one year in two hours and then they come back the next year and they're way faster, right? They're just more comfortable with a year of riding under their belt. And sometimes it takes someone riding behind you being like, let go of your brakes, let go of your brakes, you know, like pedal a little bit. But so maybe just remind yourself of those things too, but be, give yourself a little room. It's a process. And you, you definitely don't want to like jump into something that you're not comfortable with because you are out on the road. So, and go, I mean, go to an area where there aren't a lot of cars, there aren't a lot of other cyclists and, and practice, you know, like, or go at a time of day when the roads are clear and, and practice. Cause obviously practice makes everything a little bit better. Even Mario Kart. So, um, the second part of the question is, do we have recommendations for treadmills or things to look for when purchasing one? So she's not like close to getting one, but what are our thoughts on that? And I love the treadmill. Haley, I think you like the treadmill a lot, right? I do love the treadmill and I will say, yeah, not all treadmills are created equal, but I think that if you don't get too attached to like the paces that your treadmill says, like knowing that the treadmill isn't always properly calibrated, even at the gym. And I do get a little pedantic about things and I'll try to do like hard workouts on the same treadmill at the gym, because even if I figure if it's calibrated improperly, it will, you know, at least it's wrong every single time. So it's like the still the similar workout. And then I I have a treadmill at home that is a cheaper treadmill that I kind of, I just, stole from my parents when they were out of town (laughs) and it definitely it's different. You know, it definitely like the paces I'd say it's about half mile an hour difference. And so I can tell myself that and it runs fast, you know, and it's like, okay, so when I'm at the treadmill at the gym, you know, a 
10 minute mile feels one way on the treadmill at home, a 10 minute mile falls different. And that's where heart rate can come into handy as well, going by heart rate rather than by pace. And so that way I think it can actually be healthy because I don't get so attached to a certain pace and I don't, you know, I don't put all my value and my worth into a certain pace. And instead I'm going for perceived exertion. I'm going for heart rate and on it. Yeah. Honestly, if everything goes wrong in a race and none of my data works, I can still run fast off of perceived exertion because I've challenged myself in so many different, you know, arenas, even, even very controlled arenas. I too stole a treadmill from my parents once. Um, that one is no longer really running, but, um, then when I looked to purchase a new one, you know, the things I looked for, I just wanted it to be like a gym quality, um, treadmill and because I was ready to invest in it and I was ready to like put a little bit more money into it. And so, you know, you can find, there are businesses that like take old gyms that have closed down or they just have refurbished some of the treadmills and got ridden, ridden of some, you can find them on like Craigslist is how I found this guy that deals woodway treadmills. Like he sees woodway treadmills, he takes them in, he refurbishes them and he sells them for less than much less than woodways normally are. So if you are patient and you start looking early, you can often find that, but you just, I like, if you really want to get into a good treadmill, I find the gym like grade quality where they're just a little bit bigger to support more weight because you are like the pounding it will take if you use it frequently is a little bit, you know, it can be excessive and it's going to be a lot of wear and tear on it. So just that it definitely does, does count for something there, but yeah, I think, I think spending a little bit more money probably is worth it with treadmills because the, yeah, I mean the one, when I say there's a half mile an hour difference, like the one at the gym is better (laughs) than the one at home. And so I think there is, and I, if I have a major treadmill workout, I will go to the gym, even though I have one in my garage, I'll go to the gym because it is just a little bit better, better feedback. And then so I would say spend a little more money, but I think a lot of gyms do lease, like they lease their treadmills on like three year leases. Mm-hmm. So you might be able to get one that's been used, but it could be really good quality and you get it a little bit later. So definitely check into some of those deals. If you are in the market, Haley, we have some exciting news coming out of the outspoken summit today. It's just released that people who weren't there like myself can now download all of the audio. Well, maybe not all the audio. We don't get all of like what Haley was saying all of the time for the weekend, but 10 hours of audio from the summit. This is going to include, and you're, you're going to have to help me with this. So the, the talks on the main stage, right, Haley? Yes. That was Meredith Kessler, Julie Moss, Kirsten Cinema, and Stacey Sims. So their presentations are included. And then we also have the panels, which are where we came from, where we are now and where we are going as well as the women are not small men panel. Yep. That's exactly right. Past, present, future, and then a special one on female physiology. Then we also have some other talks, right? So Meredith Atwood, Meredith Chakota, and Catherine Bertine. <laughs> Mer- Mer- Marilyn Meredith. We have too Marilyn many Chicota. women with similar names. You guys. I know we do have two Meredith and a Marilyn. Okay. So that was, that was my fault, but Marilyn Chakota. <laughs> We've had yeah, her on before. You no, know Marilyn. That's <laughs> terrible. But uh, the breakout sessions with Meredith Atwood, it was called I Hate This Amazing Body. And then Marilyn Chakota um, gave a breakout session on 
coaching and we've had her on the podcast to talk about coaching. So those two um, breakout sessions are also included. So total there's 10 hours of audio. It costs $129 and you can find it at outspokensummit.com. There should be a button there. It says purchase audio. And if you did attend the summit, you can actually get all of this audio for free. I think it will be sent to you. So, so don't pay the $129. This that's for people who missed out, but if you want to relive it, you can do it for free. I might have to, because I actually did not see Marilyn Chakota's, uh, breakout session. So I kind of really want to see, you know, hear more from her. So I'm going to have to go check some of this out. And there's some of those panels that I would like to relive because they were really, really good information. Well, I'm so, so, so excited now too. I can kind of catch up and, I have, you know, a lot of running in my future. Maybe I'm going to be able to get this onto figure out my technology. That would be great if I could listen to this while I'm I'm running or something in Spain. But regardless, it will be training entertainment for a while now. I'm really excited to listen. Very cool. And we do have an interview this week as well. Oh wait, we have to mention sponsors. I'm like moving missing this. <laughs> we have uh, our Wahoo contest is still going and it goes through the month of February. And if you have not entered that uh, internet address is livefeisty.com forward slash Wahoo dash sweepstakes. The grand prize is a Wahoo kicker a kicker mat and a kicker desk. And then the first runner up prize is a element bolt bike computer bundle. So great, great prizes worth more than $1,500. If you haven't entered, definitely go do that. Livefeisty.com forward slash Wahoo dash sweepstakes. And Haley, I couldn't figure out how to get my kicker into my suitcase, but I did pack all of my noon and my Zelios sun barrier because it's going to be 71 degrees and sunny in Spain. And both of those things are definitely going to come in handy for me through my race. So I have my noon immunity for the plane ride over because I'm going to be like super careful about what I'm touching and air I'm breathing and just trying to stay on top of that. And then I think this is, you know, well, I guess in Tucson, I was using sunscreen, but the probably the second time of 2019 that I really, really need some good sunscreen. So that's going to be put to the test with my, my Zelios. So noon immunity, does that taste any different than the noon sport? We've talked a lot about the noon sport electrolyte drink, but what, how is the immunity different? So it's a different flavor for sure. But then it also has, I think of it as like an emergency type of item where it's going to give you kind of like a big dose of immunity building vitamins Vitamin C. and minerals. Vitamin yeah. C, vitamin C. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just, it's super convenient because it's, it's like that and you can just pop it in and have that. And it's been keeping me healthy. You know, a lot of times as you taper and your body comes off all the work, it's an easy time to get sick. And I've been just drinking that all the time, quite honestly, and no sickness through my taper. So I'm excited about that. Nice. I'm going to check that out. So the code is iron women and it's either noonlife.com N U U N L I F E.com, or you can use the, and you get 30% off. And then you can also use the same code iron women at teamzelios.com for 20% off in case you are going somewhere sunny, or if you need chamois cream or shampoo, which you need I use even when it's not sunny, (laughs) but, um, cool. And Haley, we do have an interview, kind of a double interview for people this week. That's right. Alyssa, this week on the show, we have Rachel Joyce and Dana Platon joining us. And most of our listeners are probably already familiar with Rachel. She is a six time Ironman champion, three time Kona podium finisher. 
She was second in Kona in 2013 and 2015. She's won Challenge Roth. She has won the ITU Long Course World Championships. She's done amazing things in triathlon. And now she has partnered with Dana Platon, who is a leadership development strategist. And Dana has experience in, uh, well, she's, she is an athlete herself. She has participated in, tr- participated in triathlons, cycling, and mountaineering. And she's also had these crazy, you know, cool experiences living in South America where she worked time, worked with impoverished communities and just developed ways for, to coach driven women to set personal goals and expand their comfort zones. So Rachel and Dina have joined forces and their new, I guess, business is called Rainus. It's a combination of their name and it's also, you know, a powerful symbol for what they're trying to do. So let's tell us a little bit more about what they're doing and what they have planned for 2019. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacy Sims. You are right. And do you know what Stacy Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor, and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of Iron Women to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code Iron Women for 30% off. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right, and our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Rachel and Dana. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us both on. And so first, I would love to hear a little bit about your connection with each other, how your paths crossed in the first place and how that kind of became cultivated into this dream of Reynas. So Dana, why don't you kind of start with your side of it first? Yeah. So Rachel and I were introduced 
over a year ago from, you know, a friend of mine, Franco Vatterat, who was, who is Rachel, one of Rachel's agents. And I had supported Franco doing a triathlon camp down in Colombia when Crowey went down to do the super cool triathlon camp. So I got to meet their team and I met Franco and he got to know me and understand my background and passion to work in, you know, triathlon and women's leadership. And he said, when we get back to uh, Boulder and Denver, I want to introduce you to someone who, you know, has got a lot of, you know, common ground and interest in the same field, Rachel Joyce. And, you know, at the same time, I was like, okay, I'm a huge fan of Rachel Joyce. I've been following her and her amazing career. Um, And as a female professional triathlete, someone I really looked up to. So I was super psyched about that opportunity. And he introduced me to Rachel. And it was at that point that we started to talk a lot about, again, that common ground and trying to create something or create a space where we could merge our skill set and take Rachel's background as a professional, you know, triathlete, take my background doing a lot of leadership development and training and creating women's retreats and clinics and camps where you're really doing this fusion of both worlds. I've attended a lot of tri camps where obviously it's swim, bike, run, but felt there was definitely a gap and wanted a space more to talk about mental skills, training and leadership, and just a lot of the challenges we face, especially as I think female triathletes and Rachel was just the perfect person to partner with on that. And Rachel, just about a year ago, you attended a next step program offered by Dartmouth's Tuck School of Business. And from what I've read, this is a two week program specifically designed to help people transition from you know, the military or elite athletic careers like your own into the civilian world. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience with that program? And was that also a catalyst for starting Rainus? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Next Step came at just the right time for me. I um, had a bit of a tough start to the year and it was at that point I knew, like, I knew that racing, if it happened, it I wasn't sure if I would race in 2018 and I was in 20, yeah, it was 2018. And I kind of was looking it, and I knew it was time to start thinking about, okay, you need to have what your exit strategy out of the sport, even though I, I haven't, I'm by nowhere. I like, I haven't ruled out racing again, but um, at this point I knew I wouldn't be racing for some time. So I went to the next step program and it was, I I didn't really know what to expect, but it blew me away. First of all, the the level of teaching we got there was phenomenal. And they've kind of really packed this two-week period with just every kind of class. It was both practical as well as kind of more like softer skills to kind of get you thinking about what you might need to do to get into the workforce and also help you identify, oh, yes, I love spreadsheets but I'm not so keen on marketing I did not think that (laughs) or (laughs) never show me another spreadsheet in my life (laughs) but I quite like this thing and then being surrounded because because transition is a very scary thing and then you're suddenly uh, you know I was surrounded by people in a very similar situation other elite sports people as and then the retiring military which I was absolutely I just I couldn't ask them enough questions because I don't know that much about the military and just to hear what their lives were like, you know, being deployed, 
you know, you hear about it in the news, but when you're actually talking to someone that's been in Afghanistan for six months, a year, it kind of makes it much more real. And it just fostered a very supportive network that I've actually relied on since leaving the the course, which was almost a year ago. And we all check on in on each other because we know uh, it's not an easy transition and it's kind of like a little support network as well as kind of giving giving us all some very real skills. I mean, even writing a resume was, you know, I had no idea where to start with that, but I was partnered with an MBA student and he kind of, I was like, well, I was a traveling for 10 years. What am I going to do with that? But he turned it into something that would actually mean something to a future employer. I bet they thought it was like super cool if they, if they had any interest in triathlon or sports at all and like had an inkling of who you were, it would be really fun to be like, I'm going to write Rachel Joyce's resume for her. <laughs> and so what did Dana reach out to you after you had finished that, that program then? No, it actually came at a really good time because Dana and I had already met and we were, we were like planning and we'd already, I think before I went away, I was like, we we had chatted and we're like, let's just duck, jump in the deep end and arrange these workshops in Boulder and just see if we're onto something. We had an idea of how the format would be, but we wanted, we didn't want to plan, plan, plan. We just wanted to do and then immediately start getting feedback. So I kind of went to the course with that in mind and I definitely took away some lessons from that, from that course. And one of the things was to try things, you know, you can, I think sometimes you can kind of overanalyze and like, is this going to work? But I think that's where Dana and I were, well, we kind of had a very similar outlook and it was like, let's just go for it and see see where we land. And we weren't afraid to to fail, you know, like we might not have 50 people sign up, but we would have enough to get an idea as to whether, you know, this idea that we were coming up with could be turned into something. And so the word Reynas itself comes from <laughs> Reina, which means queen in Spanish. And while Reynas doesn't in- exclude men in the mission or the mantra, are Reynas events for women only, like the, the workshops you mentioned? I think, you know, we started out trying to get a niche and say, let's create a space for women to get started, because that was, I think, just something speaking with many women and, and myself included, it, it, it was an area that we felt like, let's do this specifically focused on women, but it doesn't mean we're not going to expand it out and include the rays, which are the kings, the men. Yeah. And we're starting to do some corporate retreats, like with USA Triathlon this coming week, where we're doing leadership development with the men and women there. So absolutely, it'll expand out. But for now, we said we want to focus in and definitely, you know, address a group that has been asking for something that's just not offered on the market right now. What, so, oh, go ahead. So, what was interesting was when we started organizing the workshops last year, we would actually, we actually got feedback from quite a lot of men saying, "But we want something like this too." So that we definitely took something away from that. And I think, as Dana said, that has been our focus. But we are by no means, you know, limiting that kind of growth in the future. So I was able to attend one of the first ever official Rain Us events um, when you two presented at the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit last December. One of my big takeaways from the presentation was how you framed failure. I think you even said the word fail, F-A-I-L, could stand for first attempt in learning. 
So I'm really curious, could each of you share an example of a failure in your own lives and how you learned from that? Dana, do you want me to go first or? Yeah. Because I, I have so many I can choose I've got from. lots of failures. <laughs> Let me pick some. Go for it, girl. <laughs> um, I would say that my first two years of trying to be a professional athlete were pretty much one failure after another. And I, one example that I've recently used in an REI talk that we've been given is that I, I kind of had given up my, I'd, I was working reduced hours and I got called up to where the, to represent Great Britain in the European Championships. And I was like, yes, I've kind of made it. And I have had everything to prove and I could have put a lot on this race. And I turned up to this race and it was my biggest race today. And my first time being called up by the British Triathlon Federation. And I was a strong swim. The swimming was my strength then. And I got in the swim and I was like, I'm going to nail swim. Let's see if I can come out in front. And I was swimming along and I had clear water and I thought I was, I thought I was leading the swim. <laughs> and then I started having this kayaker tap me on the shoulder and I was like, what, what's he doing? And he did it again. And I'd gone the wrong way. And I ended up being dead last out of the water. And I came last in that race by many minutes. Not just minutes, many minutes. And it was just such a humiliating, like I couldn't talk about it without like wanting, you know, just feeling so humiliated about it for such a long time. And it took me, probably took me a, a long time to realize how much I had learned from that failure. But it it was a real lesson to me that when you are too focused on having to prove yourself to others or a specific result, you lose the importance of the process. And when I really had success was when I kind of really let that lesson sink in and I made everything about the process rather than having to achieve a certain result. Dana, can you can you add your own story? Yeah, I think, you know, I fail on a daily basis. I think that's something I, I, I you know, I call it fail forward, that it's, you know, constantly trying things, making mistakes and really, you know, reflecting like, what did I do? What can I do different? And how do I move forward? But a, a, a good one I can think of as an age group triathlete myself, one of my, my very first big DNF was in 2014, a half Ironman that I raced. I had trained, I had prepared, I did everything I could do to really just have a great race. And it was the first time I actually, right in the middle of the run, it was this is not happening and I have to end this. And I remember beating myself up and seeing the DNF and it just, it was just heartbreaking for me. And I remember being able to just hit pause and really reflect on it and create a new acronym called did not fail and really use that, you know, first attempt in learning, you know, approach about, okay, let's, let's reflect, like, think about all the training I put in there. Think about everything I was proud of to get at the, at the start line and, and really try and understand what is it that happened during the race and what were the things in my control and what were the things out of my control. And I actually had something go just south on my health. I just had, um, it was a freezing cold swim. And I think my lungs, they were just struggling by the time I got off the bike and I was just wheezing on the run to the point that I felt terrible. And I just made that decision. And I really, you know, the first couple of days, super upset. And then once I processed it, 
kind of went through the the fail, the first attempt in learning. It was all about like, what are the lessons learned and how do you come back, you know, the next time and train a little smarter, not so much harder. And then no, you got to make the good judgment calls. And to this day, I feel really good about the judgment call I made stepping off the course that day. So yeah, constantly kind of check, putting myself in check with, you know, Every time you have a setback, it's kind of, you know, if we don't try and take some of those lessons learned and make some tweaks and changes moving forward, you're kind of going to just be in this like vicious cycle of repeat. So that's been a powerful acronym for sure, Haley, for me. So the mission of Reynas is, and I'm quoting off your website, that through leadership and sport, we provide individuals with the tools to empower themselves and others to greatness. So I think our listeners would all agree that athletes do make great leaders. Is Reynas looking to create leaders from athletes or are you looking to transcend the athlete bubble to find just people and make leaders maybe into athletes? I think a little bit of both. Definitely for the time being, we are, there's been a focus on working with athletes and taking lessons that we learn out on, you know, out while we're swimming, biking and running and applying them to other areas of our lives, whether that be career, you know, professional or personal. But we've, Dana and I have definitely talked about, you know, the successful career woman who is so good at, you know, so good at setting goals in the workplace, but is perhaps neglecting kind of the wellness side of things and how you can take that goal setting and also create goals for, to be well. And it doesn't have to be, we're not suggesting everyone becomes a triathlete but there is you know hiking doing a certain trail or hiking you know I think of the one like a just doing a big hike and making that your goal for for the year so we have looked at both sides because we think skills are transferable both from sport to the professional world but definitely I think we get I've been consumed by a triathlon but it happens in the work world. I definitely, when I was working, see people kind of neglecting uh, the other aspects of their life. And it's, I think there's definitely a niche there to kind of key into taking goal setting um, and that kind of really driven mentality and applying it to kind of sport somehow. Yeah, just to, to piggyback off of what Rachel's saying, exactly that, that there's, you know, the skills transfer back and forth. So I know a lot of people in the professional world that their dream is to do a five or a 10 K and they're super like disciplined, motivated results oriented, and they're, they're just crushing it in the workplace. But like Rachel was saying, you know, then they may struggle to be able to um, put that same time and energy into themselves, you know, when they're in their personal lives. And what we're trying to show is if you figured it out in the workplace, you actually could transfer those skills over. And then I have friends standing on the podium, but they can't figure out how to show up for an interview and figure out, you know, how to um, get a position or maintain a job. So I'm saying, all right, if you're able to crush it, you're on the podium, you obviously know how to manage your time, how to set a goal, how to have that discipline and drive to see something through. So we're trying to um, take both and and bring that together and help people transfer those skills. You could just have a more balanced life. And Dana, going back to the summit, if my memory serves me right, I, I think it was you that said, 
we should focus on effort rather than outcome when evaluating ourselves and those around us. And I think Rachel actually touched on this a little bit earlier, but that has really stuck with me because so often in sport, we really only reward the outcome, um, the place, the time, whether or not you got a Kona slot, et cetera. So how do you frame the importance of effort when so often we are so evaluated based on outcome? Yeah, I, th I think it's, you know, Rachel and I were just doing a talk at REI about this and that when it comes to, like, if you look at expanding your comfort zone and having that ability to take small steps each day to do, you know, take calculator risks, ultimately, so you live what we're calling in the courage zone. So you're just living um, more, you know, more in a space where you're going to be more fulfilled, et cetera, you know. It's all about that effort. If you just stay in the middle of your comfort zone and you never try because you're afraid you're going to fail and you're only focused on the outcome, you're actually not going to build any confidence. So the idea is the more you can focus on your effort and the more you can put yourself out there, the confidence will come with that. Now, how do we deal with setbacks is a whole different story that if somebody is only focused on the place or the time, you know, on how they do that end result of a race. Yeah, there's definitely different ways to process that. But the, the simple fact of putting yourself out there and making these small efforts, that's what's going to build that confidence and the mental skills training in individuals. And so I really feel that being brave and bold or being empowered is a skill that has to be practiced as much as running at an eight minute pace or a seven minute pace or an 11 minute pace, whatever, you know, that is. It's, it's similar in that sense that you have to kind of train it. And so we definitely encourage women to check out the events page for workshops and retreats. But what about on a daily basis? Do you have any tips or insight for daily or weekly exercises that might help get people started in the meantime? I think like one thing you can do is, and I, I know it's kind of the, the, the thing at the moment, but if you, you have a big goal and then you break it down and keeping yourself accountable to those, the steps you're going to take this, what steps am, am I going to take this week to get that are going to help me get to that goal, which can seem quite a long way away, but it's to get to that, to that goal, you have to start making those steps. It has to become a habit and you have to kind of start with one week and then you have to do the next week. So something simple, like keeping a journal and saying, writing like, okay, what, what is it I want to do this week is a way to make sure you're kind of keeping on pushing and it holds yourself accountable uh telling someone is another way you know like tell your partner or your friends okay this is what I'm gonna do and once you've said it out loud or and written it down it's it it kind of is another way to remind yourself what it is you want to achieve and and that accountability too yeah no, you got it, Rachel. I think, you know, another one Rachel and I talk about a lot is just the inner voice. This is something, um, Alyssa, you're so right. We can't just swim, bike, run, and eat our nutrition. You have to practice the mental skills, the leadership skills, just as much, if not more. And Rachel and I talk a lot about this at our retreats, the inner voice. So if you, like, imagine on both shoulders, you have, like, this, like, your inner critic and your inner mentor. So the inner voice of the negative, of the self-doubt, that voice that tells you you're not good enough, you're not ready, or you're not doing great while you're running. Whichever voice you listen to more or whichever one you give more attention to, you're feeding it more energy and that's going to lead you. 
So it's really all about, you know, on a daily basis, if you hear sort of that negativity come in and whatnot, we can't get rid of that voice. It's always going to be there. It's a safety instinct, but you can turn down the volume. And a, a simple thing you can do is just by acknowledging it or recognizing it, being like, oh, there you are again. And then boom, you automatically will hush it. And then your inner mentor will come out. And that's sort of that voice more of wisdom. It's that voice of little bit more optimism that will help you in the moment to tap into that braver, bolder, stronger self that, you know, you were asking about. And the more you practice that and the more you become aware of that, the more the inner mentor should be leading you. And, and that's the end game. Rachel knows this. Some of my best races have not been because of PRs or whatnot, but it's been because I've been able to manage that inner voice and just be like, you know, keep it down. You are not welcome here right now. And just really be able to lead myself from a place of more positivity and more compassion and more support versus just kind of battling, you know, the inner gremlin, you know, through a long Ironman course. And I, I really feel um, piggybacking off uh, Dana. Um, I really feel like training is the perfect is a perfect example of how you can practice that dialogue because we all know when we've had those workouts where you start out and you're like, not today, I can't do it. And you can, you can list out all the reasons why you shouldn't do the workout and training is the perfect opportunity to practice and really key into your inner mentor and don't let the inner critic kind of dominate the conversation because we've all had those sessions where you've, listen to the inner critic telling you, no, I can't, I'm too tired, my legs hurt, but you've given it a go. And as, as you, as you go, the inner mentor gets, you know, you're like, okay, I've done number one, I can do this. And it gets stronger and stronger and you can end up having, you could, you end up, you could end up crushing the workout. You may just have a mediocre workout, but you've at least done it and you'll feel a lot better for having done it than having kind of scrapped it after five minutes of the workout. And that's what, that's what you need to practice because that's what's going to happen on race day. What about the, the outer critic? You know, if you tell someone these goals and they say, you can't do that, you know, what do you, or they tell you, you know, you'll never make money doing that, that kind of thing. Like, how, I mean, how do you, is that your, does your inner mentor just have to be so strong that you can tell that out, you know, or just ignore the outer critic? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, Haley, it's really, that's, it's such a good point. You know, I think Rachel and I talk about this a lot also, it's almost like internal versus external validation. And, you know, it's, you know, if we're needing the external validation, how are we going to make our decisions and our choices versus having that, that self-confidence and really leading from a place with that inner mentor, then, you know, you get your own validation and your own decision-making from yourself. It's hard to block out all the external noise, but that is a little bit about the work that we do as well, that we work with people around, you know, how do you do that? And it is habit changing and it is kind of, you know, getting in the sense of practicing all the time, catching yourself the minute you start to have that self-doubt, but it is real. And having that, I, I like what you were calling it, Haley, the outer, outer critic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Rachel is a professional triathlete, I'm sure has dealt with that much more than I ever have as an age group, you know, athlete. But I would say it's just looking at the internal versus external validation. And I think when we can get to a place that we just don't need the external validation and can really get it from yourself, I think 
I think for us, that's leadership where you get to that full place where you are just leading authentically with um, what matters to you and not others. Boy, one thing that Dana and I have spoken to uh, before is that sometimes it's you're kind of if you're aware that you have your own goal and there's external the external critic saying, but why would you do that? But I think there's a step before that that you might even know not kind of be able to differentiate from what you're hearing externally to what you actually really want. Because so many, so many of us, you know, want to be people, you want to please people. And that can really muddle the waters of, but am I doing this because I want to do it or because it's what's expected from me? And that's another step. You know, sometimes it can be difficult even to kind of identify for yourself, what is this my goal or is this someone else's goal? And we mentioned your, you have some upcoming free workshops. You mentioned the REI workshops, but you do have a couple more still left. I think there's one this Friday. This will come out, the podcast will come out on Thursday. And then Friday, you have um, one in Denver and then another one, I believe, next week in Greenwood Village. But you've titled these workshops, Why Life is Better Outside Your Comfort Zone. And Dana, I know at the summit, you led some exercises on networking, which is often, you know, very much outside many people's comfort zones. So can you tell us like, I mean, is this about communication? It could be about anything, I guess, but why is life better outside your comfort zone? And and how do we get ourselves to get there? Like take that first step because, you know, sometimes the comfort zone isn't so bad. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and Rachel and I talked a lot about this at our first presentation that, you know, I think you know, some studies show like 80% of the population prefers to be in the comfort zone and 20% are like, no, let's hang outside of that in the courage zone. And life can be comfortable and safe and secure and very much predicted inside the comfort zone. And it can also shift you into a place of status quo. So I think the idea behind it is expanding comfort zone doesn't mean you have to, you know, race Kona or climb Mount Everest. Really, it can be any small steps you take. And it's really looking at maybe breaking it down to if you're someone going into a meeting at work that doesn't really speak up at meetings, that you're just a little shy or you don't feel like your ideas would be heard. You know, a big stretch for your comfort zone would be like, okay, that staff meeting coming up Thursday, I'm going to I'm going to pitch that idea no matter what. And, you know, forget about the uh, external validation, but I'm going to do it. And as you slowly start to do things that may scare you, they're not risky things, but they're things that are outside of your comfort zone, your confidence slowly builds. It all follows you. And, and next thing you know, you're, you're doing more and more little things like that, and you're, you are living outside of your comfort zone. And I think life, um, I used to live smack in the middle of my comfort zone. I think life got really boring and I wasn't growing and I wasn't expanding and I wasn't learning. And I think by trying this little by little, I can say that um, at least personally for me, it does work. And I just feel that I am living, you know, more in sync with my greater purpose and, you know, a more fulfilled life for me. I think a lot of our listeners will be interested in the entrepreneurial side of the whole thing. So what's been the biggest challenge that you guys didn't expect so far? And has building this business been a little bit like, you know, competing in an Ironman, I guess, which would, which would you say is easier? Rachel, you can start maybe. Well, I think because of my experience, 
Iron Man is, I would, I know what I'm doing with Iron Man. I feel like, but that's also the thing I've loved about building up Rainers is that everything, almost everything we do is like the first time. So it's kind of really learning lots of new things. And even from the very outside, partnering with Dana, you know, I've very much been, uh, that's a different dynamic, which I have found really rewarding. And I've learned obviously a lot from Dana um, but it, it's a different dynamic to working that I've had for the for the last few years of my in my triathlon career. I think maybe one of the challenges is there's so much I like we when we talk, there's so much we can think that we can do with it. And it's having the patience, you know, one thing at a time because we kind of we want to be presenting and providing a, a top quality you know, we want our workshops to be top quality. And if I think if we tried to expand too quickly, we would lose some of that because of just not being able to stay on top of everything. So I think it's having the patience to to be okay growing at the rate that we're currently growing. And Rachel, you, you made headlines in 2017 when you returned to racing after the birth of your son. You won two Ironmans in quick succession, uh, fourth and a third in your other you had to do three Ironmans very quickly because you're trying to get to Kona. And that likely did contribute to a conversation that led to some changes in the Kona pro qualification system, which is now based on slots rather than points. So in 2018, you took the season off from racing. I'm curious, you know, will we see you on any start lines in 2019? If Speaking honestly, I don't think, uh, I don't think so in 2019, but I, I'm thinking 2020 as kind of a finale year. I think that will, I mean, that will be my last year of racing. And there are still, you know, a few races out there that I really want to do. And I I kind of, I was really pleased with 2017. Um, I would just love to kind of come back and almost like, no, okay, this is my final, final go at it and just really use it as a celebration rather than, anything else obviously I still be want to be competitive because it's really difficult to switch that off but I, I'll I'll put my hand up and I don't think I'll be going to Kona as a competitor I think um, I'm hoping we'll be there with Rainers instead but there are other races that I want to have a crack at I think that's really exciting to hear because I know a lot of times just following some of the the women it's like life does happen and then you know I I'll enjoy seeing you do like that the one final season, I think it'll be inspiring yeah. for a lot of us too. So we look Thank forward to, to hearing more and seeing you out there again. 2020 is and not about, very far away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I would say, what about your big, you know, retreat event that's coming up this summer in Park City, Utah? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So that is for those who've not been to Park City. I went there for the first time last June, and it is just stunning. It's kind of it's pretty pretty small place, but lots of um, really big climbs, um, lots of trail running. There's open water swimming, and the plan is we combine a training camp with these these mental skills training. And rather than it being the, the joy of having three and a half days, is that we can kind of have some shorter workshops and uh, breakout sessions throughout the weekend. So uh, you can do your long ride, and then in the afternoon you might have an hour and a half with 
to kind of relax, get to know everyone that you're on the retreat with and, and also work on your mental skills. So, and we've partnered with uh, Intermountain Wellness, which is has some amazing facilities and they have a, a nutritionist. They've got Dr. Max Tester who does bike fitting. So there'll be lots on offer. And Dana, you'll be there as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you better be, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you both so much for joining us. I really enjoyed learning more about Reynas and I really hope some of our listeners can get maybe to the couple events you have coming up soon and everyone should definitely check out that retreat as well. But thanks for your time and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks, Alyssa. Thanks, Haley. Okay, Alyssa, after listening to Rachel and Dana talk, I'm wondering, is there one thing this week that you think you might be able to do that would get you out of your comfort zone and into your courage zone? Well, Haley, I think I have a distinct advantage for this particular week because I am traveling to Spain. So I think this week is going to be full of moments where I'm going to have to be in my courage zone and not my comfort zone, just being in a new culture and everything like that. So I really would love to put myself out there and try and speak the language a little bit more. I think it's so easy when you're traveling to like just fall back on English and find the people who know it. So I'll make my goal to speak Spanish, even though I'm not 100% sure that's even exactly what they speak where I'm going. But yeah. And then I'll turn the table on you, Haley. And what about trying things? Or is there something new you can try this week? Oh, gosh, this is a good question. Yes, there's always something new I can try, I'm sure. Shoot, I'm going to have to think about this. There's some books I have that I've been wanting to read that are kind of a different genre than I might normally read. And so maybe this week I'm going to get one of those books off the bookshelf and test it out and challenge myself a little bit with a, you know, a book that I don't normally read and a different kind of thinking. So I like I'll try that. All right. So we'll catch up next week and we'll see how we did <laughs> with our little projects. But Really enjoyed having Rachel and Dana. Don't forget to check out Reynas and what the, when their workshops are, where they are, and their retreat that's in Park City. Yeah, it's Reynas, R-E-I-N-A-S dot space is the website. So www.reynas.space for all of her, their upcoming workshop dates and that retreat coming up in Park City. And just a quick reminder that you can now go to outspokensummit.com and download the 10 hours of audio. So like all of your audio listening needs for a little while until the next episode of Iron Women is out. Uh, you can download that. It has a ton of good stuff from the 2018 Outspoken Summit that is live. Yeah. So if you weren't there or if you just want to relive the magic um, I think there's a purchase audio button, $129 gets you 10 hours of listening. So check it out. And of course, thank you to our lovely sponsors, Noon, Zelios, and Wahoo Fitness. And you can still enter the contest for the Wahoo Kicker by going to livefeisty.com and entering. Is it what is that the what? There's like a, a, a dash. Live. <laughs> livefeisty.com forward slash wahoo dash sweepstakes. I got you. Don't worry. Thanks, Haley. And of course, leave us a rating and a review. Let us know what you like. And Haley, I will talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. Good luck in Spain. (laughs) Or adios. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.